Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job's not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. How high, how high can this market ultimately go? After another terrific day, Dow vaulted 228 points, S&P climbed 0.67%, NASDAQ gained 0.68%. House of pleasure. You have to wonder, will we get a monster run here to Dow 30,000? Is this a total S&P 500 jailbreak? Is the sky the limit? That's how I feel after watching hours and hours of tape and marveling that once again, we have such broad leadership from the industrials, the airlines, the financials, and even the tech stocks. This moves almost eerie. It's a veritable cavalcade of greatness. What's driving it? Oh, you know, come out here every night, same as always. Stock shortage. It's really been acute in the industrials. 401k money being thrown at the market. Animal spirits. A stronger consumer. Tax reform deregulation, and a general revaluation higher for all stocks. Who's doing the leading? Once again, it's Boeing, it's Caterpillar, it's Adobe, it's Alphabet, it's Apple, and it's Netflix. Oh, sure, periodically we have to change things up. Today was all ang, which is what happens when Facebook stumbles so badly that it isn't worth the FANG acronym. I swear, if Boeing keeps roaring, you know what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to change the shorthand to BANG! Facebook's crime, it wants to improve the user experience. It wants to get rid of intrusive, often fake news. It wants to stop autoplay. See how Mark Zuckerberg's trying to kill two birds with one stone. Keeping his flagship site fresh while also placating, well, possibly placating regulators. You know how hard they are to please. Who might crack down on Facebook as a major distributor of news that, uh, let's just say, is not that all uh, reputable. But Zuckerberg also acknowledges that the changes will cause people to spend less time on his site. He really put that one out there. You know what? Maybe that's initially. My view is it's a smart thing. More people ultimately come to Facebook, but that wasn't what people thought when they were selling the stock down. Now, here's a good question. Is the stock worth buying into this week? This my Chapel Trust owns it. Here's my take. Yes, but you've got to wait. Come Tuesday afternoon, it will probably make sense, Tuesday, markets close Monday, to pick up some Facebook. Hey, by that point, the stock will have likely caught some more downgrades. This happened so quickly today, they couldn't downgrade it. We only had time for one analyst to say, time to get out. And other analysts have to take a swing at the pinata before it settles down. On the other hand, J.P. Morgan reported some spectacular earnings today, which only propelled the stock of the world's largest bank to all-time highs. I was concerned that the numbers would be convoluted. We talked about that last night, and that is exactly what happened. As the stock initially seesawed between the red and the black for the first portion of the session, I mean, before breaking out, as investors got their heads around just how fabulous this story was, Fortress Balance Seat, Jamie Dimon, what's more that, what more can you say? Now, J.P. Morgan's a terrific place to actually start the discussion 
for next week's game plan. Because it did set a benchmark that other banks, which all report next week, we're going to, I think, going to find it hard, hard to beat. Now, first up is Citigroup, which we've championed for ages. You know that. Ever since Mike Corbett took over as CEO five years ago, when the stock was in the 30s. Jesus, it's now almost a 77. Now, we told you last night that Citi would take a big loss because of tax considerations, supposed to be in the order of $20 billion. I believe its buyback has been so aggressive that the company will actually still end up showing some excellent earnings growth. Even as it's clear from J.P. Morgan's numbers that fixed income trading, a big revenue generator for both J.P. Morgan and Citi was much worse than even thought. Citi will be hard-pressed to top J.P. Morgan, but it's no slouch. We also hear from UNH, United Health, big Dow stock. What can I say? I expect still one more blowout quarter. That's what we're all used to getting from them. It's a long line of them where UNH is going to raise numbers and talk about how the data-driven part of its business is growing like crazy. It's standard fare, people. The stock's up big today. Actually, that's not atypical for this incredible equity, which is frequently telegraphed the best of its quarters. The rails. The rails have been red hot lately. All aboard! With the most surprising winner here being CSX. This railroad titan was one of the best performing transports in 2017 after the late Hunter Harrison was named CEO, with the stock jumping more than 25% in the wake of the announcement that he would take office just a little less than a year ago. When Harrison passed away last month, the stock gave back a quick 10%. But since then, it's rebounded. Rebounded to the point where it's now trading well above where it was at the time of his death. My view, though, if the rails have a weak link, it will be CSX because it has run so much. Wednesday, we get the results from two different kinds of financials. First, there's Bank of America. They're not all created equal people. And then there's Goldman Sachs, where I work. Bank of America has a massive deposit base and is therefore the big bank that benefits the most when interest rates go higher. It lacks the worldwide tentacles of a J.P. Morgan or a city, for that matter. And, and this, remember, is a global bull market, so that actually puts it somewhat degree of a disadvantage. But that net deposit, that, that the deposit base could be great for net interest margin. Goldman Sachs, it's a much more trading-oriented investment bank, and lately the markets have lacked the kind of volatility that translates into to terrific profits. That said, I still believe Goldman will find a way to triumph. I want that conference call, Marty Chavez, to be a little more upbeat, please. I'm more concerned here, though, that Lloyd Blankfein, who steered the bank through the hardest of times, may decide to hang up his spurs and devote the rest of his life to charity, which would be par for this incredibly good man's course. I say not yet, please, even though most of the CEOs I know who are my age are starting to say they're done. Please, Lloyd, stick with it. Anyway, there's an often overlooked stock that deserves to get a lot more attention, and that's ASML Holdings. How many of you have heard of it? It's a semiconductor equipment maker. Why should we care about this one? Simple. There's a budding consensus that we've got too much semiconductor capacity coming online. And if we hear that orders are through the roof from this equipment maker or that anyone's canceling them because they've been through the roof, I can see the commodity chip makers like Micron disappointing with some weak stock action. Did you see that, the, did you see that uh, Micronoids that the stock was down today on this big up day? The commodity semiconductor group has been very sluggish lately. ASML will tell us what to do. By Thursday, the bar for bank earnings will be set so high that I do not envy Morgan Stanley CEO James Gorman when he has to present his numbers. Now, look, I think they'll be excellent. But by this point, will anybody really care? Aren't we more likely to see a wave of profit taking once all the big banks have reported? You know what? That's actually a reasonable bet. Let's keep our eyes open. I'll fill you in.
We also hear from PPG, a regular on the show, before the open. And I think this industrial stock has started to reflect some of the good things, not just bad things happening to the underlying company, including sale of paint. I also think it could be on the verge of a value-enhancing merger that I hope this time will be friendly. Uh, if I owned it, I would certainly stay long. If it gets weak earlier this week, I would buy it. Now, IBM reports after the close, and we learned uh, after the close yesterday at 401 that the company's CFO, Martin Schroeder, should be not a stranger to you because he's been on the show, will be moving to a new spot. It's going to a senior vice president of global services. It's a nice promotion for him because this is pretty much the exact same position that CEO Ginny Rometty held before her promotion to the top. It will be Martin, however, who handles the conference call. And I can tell you that he absolutely must get you if you're going to trade this, which I don't want you to. You got to wait for the call because you can't just react from the headline numbers. They can often be hard to understand until Schroeder explains them. Analysts, we give Schroeder a little bit. Uh, stop being so hard on the guy. I mean, it's ridiculous. He's a good guy. Now, I'm looking forward to listening to IBM. Why? Because they just started a new mainframe cycle, and that historically has been good news for the company. Plus, Warren Buffett seems to have stopped selling shares, thank heavens, and that's good news for the stock. Finally, on Friday, one of my absolute favorites, a charitable trust name. Club members know how much I love this. We call it Slob. Some call it Schlumberger. It's Schlumberger, and this oil service company produces one of my favorite conference calls each quarter. When the oil downturn began in 2014, Schlumberger was the first company to realize just how bad things would get. Everyone else was saying, hey, it's going to bounce right back. And we had a lot of them on TV. You know, they said it was going to bounce right back. Well, Schlumberger was right. They were miles ahead of everybody else because oil went like this right after. Right after Schlumberger said it was going to plummet. But when Schlumberger reported last time, pretty much everyone assumed that oil would be stuck in purgatory for ages. And that was when brilliant CEO Paul Kibsgaard called the bottom. Three months later, oil surging, and this stock has taken off like a bat out of hell. This stock has been up for 11, yeah, you know, it literally, well, not literally, because there are two days that were down, but for 11 straight uh, unanswered points days is the way I would look at it. Kim Scarb was right in 2014, and he's right again three months later, uh, three, in the last three months. Why? Because he knows more than everybody else. He's got the data. It was an empirical call, not emotional. It's a worldwide company. It's got an order book. Tells you everything. The oil-producing nations haven't drilled enough in the last few years to maintain the reserves, Paul told us. So now they have no choice but to drill more and to drill in 2018. So pay attention to Schlumberger and hope it gets knocked down before they report so you can buy some because it's been straight up from 63 to, to the high 70s. Here's the bottom line. You have to respect the fact that we're in a once-in-a-lifetime move where even when a mega-cap stock like Facebook gets slammed, it has no pin action whatsoever on the rest of the market. You know what we got here, don't you? We got a beast. Still, on Tuesday, the beast is going to come in real hungry after a couple days off. I bet it gets fed once again. Bear meat tastes good. Dennis, in my home state of New Jersey. Dennis. Yes, hi, Jim. This is Dennis from New Jersey. About six months ago, around June, Union Pacific was $100 a share. Today, it closed up at 141 and change. I'm in a dividend reinvestment plan with UNP. My question is, do you see its growth slowing down anytime soon? No, UNP is TNP. UNP, Union Pacific, takes no prisoners. I would stay long. If it comes back to 130, I'm going to have to pound the table. Let's go to Anna in Michigan. Anna. 
Oh, Mr. Kramer, thank you for all the work you do for us on investing. I watch your show every evening. Thank you. My interest is in an old name, Motorola Solutions. MSI was hot today. You see that? Yeah. What happened? Well, honest, hey, look, I'll, I'll give Anna the benefit of the doubt that she was going to say positive things about it because I'm going to say positive things about it. This stock is still incredibly cheap. I got a profile of it again. It sells at 17 times earnings. It's got great growth. I don't think you should leave it. I think you should run to it. I need to go to Steve in California. Steve. Hey, Jim. How are you doing? Man, I got to tell you, I'm all fired up. How about you? Okay, uh, my area of concern is, is with this new sale that went down between DST Systems and SS&C Technology. Right. Uh, the the shareholders were not informed of it, and whether or not we've got a fair price for our for our stock at eighty four dollars a share. Also, we don't know anything about what what the dividend is going to be with this new company. Uh, the the uh, earnings uh, report is going to be on January the twenty fifth. So what's your what's your thought? My, on my thought on this systems? is on page 190 of Jim Cramer's Get Rich Carefully. I said DST Systems has to be taken over and taken over now because it's so poorly managed. So the answer is you got lucky and it's better to be lucky than it is to be good. Listen, people, this is a once in a lifetime move. This is a beast mode market. And I don't think it's going to end anytime soon. Man, money tonight, I'll reveal for most dangerous, look, the four most dangerous words that could have a big impact on your portfolio. Then the house doesn't always win. Tonight, it could be your turn. It's a high stakes casino battle royale. And I'm checking the odds to find out which stocks in space you should hold on to and which ones to fold. And are the moves in Otter Pharmaceuticals giving you a headache like a migraine? It's been quite the week for the company. I'm going to sit down with the CEO talk about the latest results. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Know-it-alls always love to say that the four most dangerous words in the English language are, this time it's different. The idea being this kind of rationalization inevitably leads to heartbreak. But honestly, I've now been at this business a pretty long time, and I'm beginning to wonder if the four most dangerous words about stock investing are, this time it's the same. Why do the gray beards cling to the notion that it's foolish for anyone to believe that stock history won't repeat itself? And why do I think they're mistaken? First, when you look back at stocks until a few years ago, history pretty much always did repeat itself. Hey, you know what? Let's say you bought a group of 300 worthless Internet companies during the dot-com bubble. Well, you got had, uh, just like the know-it-alls predicted. It's incredibly difficult for young, profitless companies to become a major tech enterprise. It was clearly a bubble, and history tells us that bubbles always burst. But when I look at the big capitalization tech stocks now, and I'm talking about Facebook, Amazon, Alphabet, and Apple, the fact is that this time was very different. If you listen to the Greybeards, you missed out on some remarkable moves, even after Facebook's stock's 4.4% decline today. Why am I thinking about this old saw? 
Because earlier this week, we saw something that I once considered unimaginable. Wholesale attacks on Warren Buffett, a man who, even without mouthing the words, definitely falls into the this time it's different is dangerous camp. Buffett's close to untouchable in this business, but we saw some scathing and withering blasts against him by people who are buying cryptocurrencies because not only did he refuse to endorse them, he said that the whole cryptocurrency move, particularly Bitcoin, would end badly. After all, he said it's a bubble and this time won't be any different. When it bursts, you'll get crushed. Look, if you bought cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin below where they're currently trading and you got to, and you sold them for a gigantic game, well, guess what? Good for you. Call it what you want. Wagering, trading, investing, gambling. Who cares? As long as you've made a profit, I salute you. Here's the thing. Guys who got in early on that tulip craze not that long ago, like a couple hundred years, made a killing too. However, eventually prices collapsed and people who held on to their tulips, say through 1700, were ruined. But back to Buffett. It almost goes without saying that it's foolish to condemn someone who has such an incredible track record. Buffett's never been one to participate in bubbles. He's worked to stick to his methods, which include a rigorous long-term view on progress and profitability, while buying stocks that represent bargains relative to the actual value of the underlying companies. That's pretty much his thesis. Nevertheless, you end up missing out on some big gains when you refuse to embrace the idea that this time could be different. I'm not talking even about bubbles here. You would have missed the greatest performers of our era, Fang, And that's just not right. To profit from Facebook, you had to believe that the world would embrace some idea about social networking that was dreamed up by a bunch of college kids. Now, I went to Harvard, where they did. And like everyone else, I got the physical Facebook, perused that pretty quickly before freshman year. You know, I looked at face after face and name after name. I wondered, who are these people? What did they do to get in? What are they going to do? The idea that this concept could become an extremely profitable $521 billion business must have seemed ludicrous. How about Amazon? You really had to believe this time it's different if you were going to buy some shares in some online retailer where you gave them your credit card information and actually trusted that they send you it overnight. But Amazon did become a $629 billion profitable company. What kind of dreamer would actually say, you know what? This time is different enough that I'm going to purchase shares in a money-losing company that sends diskettes to you and bet it works out big. But isn't that the story of the $95 billion Netflix? Oh, and how about a company that offers you a service where you type questions in and it answers them? What's that worth? Why not just ask a librarian? Turns out it's worth $782 billion, Alphabet. Did Buffett miss these? Yes. Should he have? I say who cares? He made it his way. But that begs a very big question. The Greybeards missed all these stories because of their old saw. It stopped them from taking what turned out to be a calculated gamble on four companies that would have made fortunes for those who believe things really would be different this time. So, cryptoids, give Buffett a break. But anyone who still believes that these four words are deadly should ask themselves, What good is a dictum that kept you out of the greatest wealth creators of the era? The success of Fang says the wise men are wrong, and the phrase should be retired. Stick with Craig. Last year, the casino stocks continued their miraculous comeback. In fact, they were so strong that one of them, Kramer Uber Fave Wynn Resorts, ended 
2017 as one of the top performers in the S&P 500. Remember, we just covered that wrap-up earlier this year. And I think this theme is so strong, i got to revisit it and come up with some new analysis for some new numbers. Remember, the two big worldwide casino stocks, Wynn and Las Vegas Sands, LVS, are very much placed not on the Nevada casinos, not on Vegas, but on Macau, the Chinese gambling haven. So when China's economy started tanking a few years ago, and then the communist government cracked down on government corruption, Macau went into a tailspin. For years, if you wanted to, well, let's say, influence a Chinese official, you took them on a junket to Macau. Suddenly, that kind of thing was frowned upon by the Communist Party. You know, you don't want to get on the bad side of the People's Republic. So the Macau gaming numbers plummeted back to earth, and that obliterated both Wynn and Las Vegas Sands. Although, of course, Steve Wynn decided, you know what it's time to do? Bye, bye, bye! And eventually, Macau began to turn around. As I pointed out roughly 16 months ago, Way back in September 2016, the Chinese economy started picking up some steam. And more importantly, the Macau gambling figures appeared to have bottomed. They come out once a month, just so you know. After two years of double-digit declines, we're finally seeing an increase in gambling activity in Macau. Even better, Wynn and Las Vegas Sands had both just opened brand-new casinos there. While the stocks had already rebounded pretty substantially back then, I thought they had more room to run. And since then, you know what? Wynn has gained another 50%. Wynn, uh, Las Vegas Sands up another 21.5. Now, of course, to put that in context, Las Vegas Sands actually lagged the phenomenal return from the S&P 500. It's up over nearly 30%. But Wynn has left the averages in the dust. Of course, Wynn's done even better since I started recommending it at $82 in February 2016. Hey, better be lucky than good. But that was much closer to the bottom. And since then, you've caught yourself a double. Now, it makes sense. Wynn's casinos in Macau are much more a play on the high rollers. It's supposed to be these incredible palaces. i got to get there. These are for VIPs who, um, well, lose a lot of money at the tables. And if they're coming back in force, it means these guys are practically coining money. So what have we learned since then? All right, for starters, Macau's been pretty darn good of late. In fact, the gaming results have been pretty much consistently improving. Okay, last month, just okay, over the past year and a half, at least up until what we saw in the most recent numbers. In 2016, Macau's total gaming revenues were down 3.3%, which is actually, believe it or not, a very impressive figure when you consider that the numbers were down double digits in the first six months of the year. And last year, the numbers were just flat out great. We don't yet have the official figures on Macau's total casino revenue, But adding the numbers up month by month, which is the way you do it, it looks like Macau was up 19% versus 2016 in local currency. More importantly, the cadence of these numbers, see what we want is the linearity, was exactly what you want to see. For instance, last January, they were up 3%. April, May, they were up 18%. May through November, they were up more than 20%. Nearly every month, a very nice acceleration. Of course, winning Las Vegas Sands have been underperformers in 2018, largely because the December Macau numbers were up just 14%, little degradation there. And that was viewed as disappointing. But the Macau figures dipped to the mid-teens in September, and then they bounced right back. So I would not fret the program here. These are general numbers, though. We need to know how Wynn and Las Vegas Sands are doing in particular. Remember, both of these casinos just opened new casinos in Macau, so the growth is pretty stunning. In the first uh, nine months of 2017, Wynn's Macau revenues increased by 71%. Hey, believe me, he told you. Shout out to the rooftops. This is going to happen. You could get in. That's why we liked it so much. It's staggering numbers, aren't they? Las Vegas Sands is less impressive. Their total uh, Macau revenue increased by 16% in the first nine months of last year, but it's still pretty good. Still, at this point, I think it's clear that Wynn is pulling away from the competition. The stock is cheaper than Las Vegas Sands because of that. But what about that deceleration last month? How about the news last week that China's imposing new limits on overseas ATM withdrawals? And if you're from mainland China, overseas includes Macau. 
Look, we've been through this before, okay? In December of 2016, there was a scare about China slashing the ATM withdrawal limit. In May of last year, we started hearing that Macau would start monitoring ATM withdrawals. None of them had any long-term impact. You know what? I think it's going to be the same this time. The best thing about these stories, Wynn and Las Vegas Sands look pretty darn cheap on, these earning, on an earnings basis. Wynn, which is maybe one of the best companies on earth, sells for just 20 times next year's estimates. Las Vegas Sands trades at 22 times next year's numbers. Given its superior growth rate, I think Wynn deserves a higher multiple here. And while we need to keep an eye on Macau to make sure last month's deceleration was only a one-time blip, Wynn simply is just not that expensive, even after its monster run. For those of you who already listened to me on Wynn and bought a position in this one, let her ride. If you own Las Vegas Sands, sell, swap into win. But what if you don't want to own something that's totally hostage to the PRC? After all, there's nothing stopping the Communist Party from cracking down on vice again whenever they feel like it. So maybe you'd prefer a casino stock that's a much more domestic play, something like MGM Resorts, which had a lot of exposure to Las Vegas, as well as properties in Washington, D.C. that people are just crazy about, and Atlantic City, with a new casino set to open in Springfield, Massachusetts later this year. Not much around there. Could be a magnet. I also recommended MGM in September 2016. Since then, the stock's given you a terrific 37% return. And that's despite the fact that one of the casinos was the location of the worst mass shooting in American history just last year. Still, MGM has been putting up phenomenal numbers. Jim Muren's doing a great job. In fact, the company's domestic business up 23% in the first nine months of last year. It's actually doing better than their international holdings. And the stock trades is just 19 times next year's earnings estimates. Not bad, right? I think the next leg here may actually be all about some strange factor, the Supreme Court. This spring, the Supremes will decide whether sports gambling Sports gambling should be legalized outside of Vegas. Many legal experts seem to think they'll rule in favor of legalization, which could be a terrific tailwind for MGM, as it would establish them to it would allow them to establish a sports book in the regional casinos around the country. I got to tell you, people, it would be a game changer to make that legal around the country. Here's the bottom line: I believe that Macau can keep rebounding, courtesy of this phenomenal global economic expansion, which means that Wynn Resorts might have room to run, and I always pick win over Las Vegas Sands. But if you want a domestic casino play with some overseas exposure, MGM has a lot going for it. You know what, though? That's how I'm hard-pressed to pick between MGM and with win. They're both that good. How about we go to Howie in New York. Howie! Jim, it's an honor to speak to you. First of all, uh, let me uh, wish you good luck on your Eagles on Saturday night. Well, you know, if they had nation, nationwide sports book, you could put a, bit, a bet on the Eagles. I am not allowed to bet, but thank you so much for that opportunity. What's up? Okay. Uh, I am a holder of Philip Morris stock, and I've been watching it go from a high of 123 to present 104. Uh, while this is happening, uh, I'm obviously going down, uh, and I'm watching Amazon, Apple, all the other stocks, Netflix, you know, Boeing, it goes on and on, all rising higher and higher. So I'm really wondering, should I just stay with Philip Morris, wait for this turnaround? Or well, you know, look, i got to tell you, I would, I, look, I don't recommend tobacco stocks. Let's go right up front with that. But I will tell you this. There was some data out today which showed that, that Philip Morris is actually gaining some traction with its new novel delivery system. So I hate to have you sell it here with a 4.1% yield. There's some currency issues there, too. I want you to hold on to it here. But, you know, if it does go back up, we're going to have to do some trimming. Thank you for your uh, encouragement for the Philadelphia Eagles. 
Now, you never want to play roulette with your stock picks. You want to understand why the casino stocks are actually making the comeback that I like so much. But Cal has a lot going for it, and I think Wynn and MGM are both winners. Much more mad money, including my exclusive with something that millions of people suffer from, migraines and Alder Pharmaceuticals and what it's doing to try to cure them. Last year was tough for the company, down 45% in 2017. This year, it's telling a different story. I'm sitting down with the CEO to talk about the latest developments. Then a private company that's got an endless summer style. Don't miss my exclusive with one of the companies that my kids love. It's called Farad to see how the clothing brand competes. And all your calls, rapid fire, tonight's special edition of Lightning Round. And yes, I'll look back at the week that was. So stick with Kramer. Monday, kick off the trading day was Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. How about that? Free of charge. Man, I'd you like know, that? I'd know for that. They'd shoot me in the box with yeah. a bad money creamer. Would... Yeah. Wow. Would I'm... they do that? No, probably not. No. No, it's, uh, you're not worth it. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. In case you may have not noticed, this has been one crazy week for Alder Biopharmaceuticals. We've talked about this company before. Symbols ALDR. It's a development stage biotech working on a number of drugs, including a migraine prevention compound that's in phase three trials. Here's a stock that's been a real wild trader since it came public in 2014. Got hammered last year, but so far 2018 has been a very good year for these guys. In less than two weeks, Otter's seen its stock rally more than 50%, including nearly 40% gains since last Friday. The reason? The company showed up at this week's big J.P. Morgan confab, that healthcare conference I keep telling you about, with three very important pieces of good news. They had some strong clinical trial results, basically a more detailed version of the supposedly disappointing data we saw last summer that caused the stock to get hammered. They also announced the new financing, and that allowed the company to settle some pending litigation with the gigantic Teva Pharmaceuticals, which, by the way, has gotten red on itself. Suddenly, this whole story looks a lot more promising. So let's check in with Randall Schatzman. He's the co-founder, president, and CEO of Outer Pharmaceuticals. Hear more about how his company's doing and where it is headed. Mr. Schatzman, welcome to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. It's good to be back with you. All right, sir. Can you explain to your audience, to our audience, what the trial results you announced earlier this week were and the significance of them for sufferers of migraines. Yeah, so the, the trial that we announced this week, Jim, was the top-line data from what we call a phase three trial, which is one of the, the last trials that a company uh, conducts before we ask the FDA to, to approve the drug for commercialization. And in this case, we were studying a, a drug that's known as eptinezumab, in a group of patients that are what we call chronic migraine patients. And on average, these patients had about 16 migraines that they suffered every month of their life. And what the trial showed was that when we administer eptinezumab in these patients, as soon as day one, we can see a, a dramatic clinical benefit. 50% less migraines on day one, that efficacy persists through the study. And we also demonstrated a very high level of magnitude of effect. And what I mean by that is, is that about 15% of the patients in the study had zero migraines for the 12-week duration of that study. And that's going from 16 migraines down to zero. And this is with a single dose of uh, eptinezumab that lasted the full three months of the study. Okay, so, so we let's... think it's an opportunity to... 
Well, I was going to say, we think it's an opportunity to really transform how migraine is treated I, today. I, I totally agree, but I'm trying to figure out what was different. You know, during the summer, we had such high hopes, and the stock did go down rather dramatically uh, from 17 to 8. And what happened in that period versus now that has made it so you have uh, you and obviously the, the people who've run the trial are much more confident? Yeah, so that's a great question. So in June, when we announced the data, investors tended to focus on what we call the primary endpoint. And the primary endpoint is really about how you get a drug approved through the FDA. And while our results were significant with that endpoint, they were actually sort of in the middle to the low end of the class. Okay. And as you know, we have three big competitors in the space. And I think the investors were afraid that with that result that eptinezumab might not be competitive. By oh. contrast, the data that we announced on Monday actually demonstrated that eptinezumab was well above the class and well above the data that our competition had demonstrated in this same group of very, very severe patients. Okay, so why would I prefer the, uh, your drug to the current uh, Allergan and Amgen uh, tests that are going on right now? Yeah, so again, it really boils down to how fast eptinezumab works. We see that efficacy on day one. And in addition, we're able to deliver a high number of patients to what we call these higher levels of efficacy. So we see about a third of the patients who have a 75% reduction in their migraines. And in addition, we saw those 15% that had zero migraines whatsoever. And to date, none of the other programs have shown that level of efficacy. Well, the others are pill form and you're as intravenous. Would people not prefer pill form given the fact that you have to do it four times a year if you're with Aller? Well, in fact, what we find amongst these very severe patients, Jim, is that patients don't really care how they get the drug. They just want relief. They want it now and they want significant relief. And for them, whether it comes as a subcutaneous injection or whether it comes as an IV infusion that they take four times per year, um, that's very appealing for them. And uh, last question, if this, if this data continues or is this current data enough to get approval by the back half of 2019? Uh, well, what? yes. The answer is yes to that. The data that we demonstrated actually in both studies, PROMISE 1 and PROMISE 2, are of a level of significance that makes the drug approvable. So the next steps for us are to get that filing for the FDA together and get it in and look forward to continuing our interactions with the FDA for an ultimate approval next year. Well, this would be fabulous news for the millions of people who suffer from migraines and usually lose work for it. And I hope that everything works out. That is Randall Schatzman, the president and CEO of Outer Bomber Pharmaceuticals. We held high hopes for it. The stock got dinged. Sounds like it's coming back. Stay with Kramer. It is time. It's time for the night. You And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? A special Philadelphia Eagles. Get on the bus or go home. Lightning round on Kramer's Mad Money. Let's start with Dennis in New York. Dennis. Hey, Jim, how are you? Thanks for taking my call. All right, Ski Daddy, how can I help? I'm looking to add a credit card company to my portfolio. I'm interested in the MasterCard stock. What do you think of that I choice? I think you ought to pull the trigger on Monday because they're going to blow away the numbers. I like that stock very much. Let's go faster. Let's go to Dave in Pennsylvania. Dave. Hey, 
Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of my course. stock is Boston Omaha Corp. Yeah, you know, I've looked at that company. I, I don't like the billboard business. I don't like, you know, let's just say this. Sell, sell, sell. Okay, let's go to Brandon in Florida. Brandon. Booyah, Kramer. Booyah. Talk to me about Citizens Financial Group. Is it a good long-term play with the deregulation hey, of regional banks? too bank? much. I want you to swap out of that and go to J.P. Morgan. Let's go to Marissa in Missouri. Marissa. Hey, Jim. Booyah from Kansas City. Thanks for taking my call. Love Kansas City. How can I help? So I'm a millennial that loves taking selfies, and I wanted to know if Estee Lauder, symbol EL, is still a good buy. Fabrizio Freda is one of the greatest executives ah. in the world. Buy him. Get on the bus of Fabrizio. Barton, Texas. Bart. Jim, is Waste Management WM a buy, sell, or hold? It, Bart is a super duper buy-buy. You see that buyback they just announced? I've been telling club members of ActionLearnsPlus.com, the cash flow and the tax regime, both fabulous. Ah. I'm not done. I'm going to Lawrence in Florida. Lawrence. Jim, booyah from Clearwater Beach. Oh, so lucky. What's up, man? Never rains there. How can I help? <laughs> Fog today. Hey, uh, Orbital AT Keiths, ATK, symbol OA. See yeah, well, that's, you know, kind of a done deal. And, you know, I like it very much. Well, they made a lot of money. Uh, I think Raytheon. It's time for Raytheon and then General Dynamics. Let's go to Craig in New York. Craig. Gulfport Energy. Which one? Gulfport? No, no, no. We're going only the highest quality here. We're going... We have to go uh, literally Schlumberger or Simrex. Oh, my God. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Hey, Kramer. And Booyah! Booyah, Kramer. I'm here with my dad. Hi, Jim. I'm Tim, and I like trucks. Is it a good time to buy and take a ride with Ryder? I, oh, I'm sorry, I jumped the gun. By the way, it was founded by his grandfather. Let me, I gotta scratch this. 20th annual conference. Too short, Buster. You would need a microscope or at least one of these things to see where it is. Yeah, I don't think you sleep very much. No, um, I actually don't definitely... really care for sleep. Ever. Jim Kramer. Jim I woke Kramer. up Siri. I did. I woke up Siri. Jim I got busted. I can't. Kramer. I woke up Siri. Jim Kramer. Jim Kramer. Jim Kramer. Jim Kramer. Earlier this week, we got a chance to hear from all sorts of consumer-oriented businesses at the gigantic. ICR conference in Orlando. Thank you, ICR people, for having us down. But we didn't just speak to publicly traded companies. We also check in with some startups that just might represent the future of retail. Take a company like Faraday Brands. That's F-A-H-E-R-T-Y Brands. It's an up-and-coming, high-end lifestyle brand focused on apparel and swimwear. Right now, the company has only six stores, but they're in some fancy locations. Soho in the West Village in New York, Boston, Nantucket, Massachusetts, Malibu, Newport Beach in California. And they've been having a lot of success. I guess the Preppy Beach Bum look is in. Well, if you give it a guarantee for life, probably that helps. Now, at the ICR conference, we sat down with Alex Faraday, who founded Faraday Brand with his twin brother and now serves as its CEO. Take a look. 
Alex, I am thrilled to have you because you're part of the American dream. You didn't like what was on the rack. You didn't like what was there. So you decided, you know what, we're going to make high-quality clothing. Why were you able to make that leap? You had to believe in yourself. So I uh, believe in myself. I'm fortunate to have an identical twin brother who... Um, we do have Alex, right? You're not doing one of those switches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm Alex. Mike's, Mike's not here, but Mike... Uh, Identical twin since we were kids. Mike was always a talented artist, decided he wanted to be a fashion designer, and I'm fortunate to be blessed with a twin brother who's super creative. And since we were 17 years old, we talked about having a clothing company one day, and you know, here we are now, kind of talking about it. There's a perception in this country that all the retailers out there are done. There's no new one who would go into that. You guys surprisingly have great economics. You're able to pull it off. Yeah, we are. I mean, I think it's it's a new world of retail. And uh, the customer is looking for something new. I think it's been the same same retailers opening up more stores. And I think now the customer now who wants high quality, wants something that's authentic, wants something that's uh, craft feeling to it, and it opens up an opportunity for a brand like ours. But it's also a guarantee of quality that I don't know anyone else is offering. Correct. We have a lifetime guarantee in any piece of clothing that I make. Can you do that? We can do it because in the end of the day, Jim, like, clothing should last a lifetime. Like, that's our belief. Yeah, well, hammers with craftsmen, I mean, clothing? Yeah. We're happy to replace any product that there's any wear and tear, any issues that you have, and that's a commitment because because, you know, we put our heart and soul in everything that we make, and it should, it should last a lifetime. That's our belief. Well, then you must have tight control of your manufacturing. Uh, we definitely have tight control of our manufacturing. So my brother spends about a third of the year uh, traveling himself to all of our factories, overseeing all of our production. So it's a, it's a hands-on operation, and, uh, you know, it's our life. It's our... Our whole family's in it. This is right. this is how we get, you know, this is how we make it. Well, speaking of uh, our whole family, I, I called my wife because I knew you were coming on. And I said, what do you know these guys found? And she goes, I'm reading the catalog. Uh, a 20-year-old, a 19 This These are sweet spot people, aren't they, for you? Uh, yeah, so we're, you know, we're really that, you know, 21 to 45-year-old right. demographic of, you know, this is the person who, uh, you know, wants something that's just a little bit better and feels a little bit more special, and they want to, you know, they're willing to pay a little bit more for that quality. Uh, uh, you have a store on Bleecker Street. I think it's an interesting story about how the economics actually allowed you to pull it off. There are a lot of people who are watching who are saying, you know what, it's not really possible. I'm a designer. I went to Parsons, FIT, with the equivalent. I can't, but there's no way you can do it. You pulled it off. Yeah, so, you know, what it is is right now we're, with all the stores that are closing, it creates opportunity for new brands. Landlords are willing to do shorter-term shorter term deals where the you know brands can actually make money, and I think that now is going into our favor as far as being able to open up new retail stores. Okay, so explain to me the model, uh, channel strategy, wholesale, where are you? Sure, so we are uh, going into this year, we are 40% e-commerce. I think no matter... 40%? So did you, you're, you're going, you're backing that in. I mean, most of the guys who are in clothing are desperate to try to get to 10 so uh, we started wholesale uh, for the first three years. That was what we did, um, and that what gave us scale. Like that got us into, you know, 150 different small specialty stores across the country. I've traveled to almost all of them, and you handshake with the owner. You, you know, you help sell to their customer. You build that relationship, and then from there, once we figured out the wholesale channel, and we could retail well against established brands. Right. Then we decided, you know, if people like our brands in Nordstrom's of the world, they can like it buying in our own store, and we really aggressively pushed the e-commerce channel. And you know, because of companies like Shopify who allow a small brand to, 
to do things that I, I, our technology, we can do whatever the largest of brands can do now. Like the barriers to entry have completely changed. We recommended Shopify for precisely what you're talking about. We like Etsy, we like Shopify. Explain to people what that they do for you. Okay, so basically what used to cost $10 million to build the back end of a website for a customer, I, for $1,000 a month, can basically have the world's greatest mousetrap when it comes to creating a website. I can do create anything that I want in this site. And then there's open source uh, app creations that allow you to basically add on anything that you would ever want to add on to the website. Uh, it's magic. It's amazing. Now, uh, twin brothers, one seems you know, very style, very fashion. Your background is finance. A good marriage there. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So I am the, I kind of handle all of uh, sales, operations, uh, you know, all kind of the back end, you know, non-flashy side of the business. And Mike handles all the design. Uh, graduated from college, uh, worked in finance for almost 10 years. And, you know, fortunately, like, you know, Mike and I were able to marry this together. And you know, the one thing about having a business partner who's your twin is, like, it's ultimate trust. Sure. And, you know, even in the, the hardest days of a startup company where, like, you know, could barely make payroll, you know, we had each other to lean on. One last question. Uh, I know because, you know, finance, you could come public someday. But is it too confining? I mean, a lot of people who are public now wish they'd never gotten public. Or is this just something you want to do because there'll be a lot of people who want, it, want in? Uh, you know, it's a, it's a good question, Jim. I think, like, you know, I think still, like, we're building this, uh, to your point, on the American dream. Like, I think one day to have a, a public company is still, like, that is really cool. I mean, that's something where, like, you know, you're a part of the American dialogue and you can help make people, you know, retirement work if the company does well and really let, you know, people really share in that success. Uh, I mean, I'm still a fan of it. Well, you deserve it. You deserve every bit of success that you're having. Okay, that's Alex Faraday. I think, not Mike, right? It's Alex. It's Alex, yeah. Uh, and he's the founder and CEO of Faraday. And I got to congratulate you. are the American dream. Thanks, Jim. Here's a quandary. I'm actually leaving the office wondering, will the stock of Boeing ever go down again? Like I say, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'm to find it just for you. Radio Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'll see you Tuesday. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.